0: Hey, before we dive into the scriptures this morning, we're just going to take a time this moment to pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for all that you are. Thank you for all that you've given us. God, thank you for this chance to come together as the church this morning to worship, to pray, to dive into your word. God, I pray that in this moment you just open up our hearts to who you are, to your spirit, and allow your spirit to speak into us. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, I'm glad that you guys are here this morning. Uh, my name is Will Penel. I'm the senior minister here at Mechanicsville Church of Christ. And if you're joining us here in person, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for taking some time out of your week to join us in worship. If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us wherever you are and taking time out of your day to, to worship with us also. Um, as we get started this morning, I just want to say a quick thank you To everyone, specifically those who have been here a long time and through all this COVID stuff, uh, some of you have joined us during this COVID season online or in person, and, and you don't really fully understand what has changed in this last year. About a year ago is when schools started shutting down, and we wondered what would really happen with this coronavirus, and we didn't know anything about it, and we were wrestling with what do we do as a church, and... And we just we didn't know it. A lot of things have changed for all of us in the course of this last year. Uh, we have a sanctuary up there that we're typically in, and we came down here to space out more and have higher ceilings and hopefully be a little bit safer. And that's been a huge change. We changed how our sanctuary looked for our kids to worship in a safe way and make accommodations for them and it 's been amazing've I duck my head in there sometimes for worship, and they are having a blast worshiping in their way and it 's awesome to see that uh, to see that also but I realized that a lot of things a lot of things have changed. I thought that I was somebody who really enjoyed change over a year ago when before Mark retired as senior minister here and I stepped into those shoes, when I would preach once a month, Eric would come up to me, sometimes before, um, before I was even preparing for my sermon, and said, okay, what are we going to change on this, on this week that you're preaching? Because I changed so many things so often that, that he just anticipated changing something and wanted to be prepared for it. What I realized, though, is I never really liked change of any substance, See, what I've realized over this last year is there's like, there's core change when we change something close to who we are, close to our identity as a person. And then there's like a little bit further away from that change on our lives on a regular basis. And then there's just surface level change. And I've seen it more as a bullseye. And I've realized that I was a person who like surface level change. I would change like the order of worship. Now, I would change when we had communion, when we had offering, uh, when I preached in the service. I, w- I would kind of make surface-level changes. These are because changes changes like you, you take a different route to work because you want to change the scenery or because you want to stop at Bojangles for breakfast on your way to, to work in the morning. For me, it's way out of my way to go anywhere on my way to work since I live and walk to work in the mornings, and I live right here. Uh, but but it's, it's changing things that... that really are kind of insignificant, but then sometimes there's bigger and deeper changes that happen. Sometimes we make a move. We buy a new house. Sometimes we get a new job. Sometimes there's, there's a change in our life that has a ripple effect, and, and it gets a little closer to that identity piece, a little closer to, to who we are change, and then there's the changing who we are. It's an alcoholic who decides to stop drinking, it's working on ourselves to overcome whatever tragic event happened to us in our life. It's a car accident that changed us forever, and we're a totally different person. It's, it's the core change of who we are, and over this last year, we've had a lot of those core changes. We've had a lot of those, the, the, uh, the, the medium-sized changes along with the surface changes, and I just want to say thank you. I know this has been a hard year for everyone. I know that that it's been tough, personal life, church life. And you guys have, have been here. You've kept supporting financially. And it's been amazing to see how many people have stepped up and served and, and done a, went above and beyond in service. So I just want to say thank you. I think it's interesting what time does to change if we think about things that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago and our perspective on them now, it seems to change a lot of how we see past events. And I wonder in 10, 15, 20 years from now how we will see 2020 and this, this COVID season that we've been in for so long. I don't think it'll erase it'll, it'll it. I don't think it'll just disappear. But I wonder what changes happen now that we'll be stuck with later that will wish stuck a little bit more that we're glad maybe didn't stick I think there have been things that we've had to do different over this last year that have been good things have been bad things have kind of been in different things and I don't know about you I'm really really excited for some of the changes that have happened over the course of COVID that hopefully will stick around I hope that people spend more time with family I hope that that maybe work looks a little different for for many of us, and we're able to spend more time with family, that we have our perspectives maybe a little bit more in, in, in the right order. I hope that we're able to rest. I think COVID forced us to rest, and we're seeing a benefit of what we read in Scripture when God told us to rest and created the Sabbath so that we would rest. And I think there's some benefit there, and I hope that we have seen that over this last year. I think there's some things in the church that maybe aren't going to change. You guys may or may not like this. Those little communion cups, I don't know if they're going anywhere. I know, they taste terrible, right? But for a whole laundry list of reasons, they just might be here to stay. I've heard several say that they've really enjoyed worshiping in this place, and they don't want to go back to the sanctuary. I've heard many say they can't wait to get back to the sanctuary for worship. I think there's a lot of things that have changed during this time. And time will tell what stays, what doesn't, and how we feel about it. They say that time heals all wounds, and I don't know about all of them, but certainly a good number of them. Time has a way of changing our perspective, putting a little bit of distance and separation. And and time is a powerful force in this world. And especially when we come to grace. When we talk about grace, what we see is that time often reveals grace. Last week we started a new sermon series called Messy Grace And we're talking about this idea of grace leading up to Easter because sometimes we have this misconception of what grace is. And we just think about it as I can make mistakes, I can sin, and I ask for forgiveness. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, then there's no consequences. And what happens in those moments is that we cheapen grace. We cheapen what Jesus did on the cross for us. Sometimes in church circles, we like to talk about grace and to find grace as unmerited favor, meaning we don't deserve the goodness, unmerited goodness, favor, that God gives us. But sometimes we cheapen it just to think of we get away with our sin. We, we get to escape whatever consequence and punishment is there, and, and when we do that, we cheapen it. I, one, of a, one of the examples I've heard about grace It's kind of like you tell your kid not to play ball in the house, but then they keep playing ball in the house, right? It's what kids do. And so you keep telling them not to play ball in the house, don't play ball in the house, don't play ball in the house, and then eventually a lamp breaks. So mercy says in that situation, mercy says, don't worry about it, I didn't like the lamp anyway, not a big deal. Let's just forget about it. That's mercy. Justice says... Don't worry about it. Walmart sells them, grab your piggy bank, and since you broke it, you'll pay for it. Right? That's justice. And that's what, that's what we really want in this world. We want, if you do something wrong, you make it right. And we want that as long as it's not us making it right. right? We, we want that for other people. We want justice. If you do something wrong, you make it right. Grace says, you broke the lamp. Walmart sells them, I'll replace it. You want to go get some ice cream? It's unmerited favor. You, you do something wrong, and there's a price to be paid, but someone else pays it for you and gives you more. And as we saw last week, we don't, we don't get to define grace. We don't get to say this is what grace is or what grace would be, because Jesus did that on the cross for us. Romans talks about the, the penalty for our sin, sin being death, and we don't have to pay that penalty of death that Jesus did that for us, and so he paid the price for us and gives us life. How amazing and beautiful is that? So when we simplify it, when we try to say, oh, well, it also applies to this situation that I don't have to pay the consequences for this because of Jesus, then we cheapen what grace is. And we've entitled this series Messy Grace because when we actually get into the weeds of what grace is, we see that it is, in fact, messy. We, we took this rubber band, right? And, and the power of the rubber band is it's in the tension here in the middle. And the same is true for grace. The same is true with our faith. That the power of faith is in the tension. If I hold a rubber band by one end, it's no good for anything. If I'm just about the truth of Scripture and the truth of God, then our faith has lost its power. If I'm just about the love of God and the love of Jesus... Then faith has lost its power. It's about truth and love. And, and faith is here in the tension. It's here in the, in the gray area. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense sometimes. It's a little messy. It's a little complicated. And this is all throughout faith. We just have gotten used to some tensions, like we serve one God and the Trinity. Like Jesus defeated death on the cross, and yet it hasn't been destroyed yet. Uh, Like Jesus uh, is fully man and fully God. We live in these tensions in our faith, and this is where grace is. And it's messy, and it's complicated, and it's here in the tension. And sometimes, a messy part of grace is that it seems like grace has been delayed. It seems like grace is nowhere to be found. It seems like, God, you've promised us good. You've promised us grace and compassion. Where is it? And we go through seasons of life where it just seems like everything is going wrong. Things are going bad. and Like, God, you, you promised good. You promised your grace. And, and where is it? Or maybe things are even going great for you right now. Job's great. Family's great. Things are just going peachy. But something Something is missing. You thought faith would bring more. Believing in God, a relationship with God would bring more, and and you're wondering where that is. Sometimes grace seems delayed. But the truth that we're going to see in Scripture this morning is that time reveals grace. And sometimes it does take a while, but we'll always see it. This morning I want to look at uh, the life of Abraham and the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. And we're going to start out with the life of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And the Lord said to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, and I will show you, uh, go, and from your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now this is a huge promise that we see from God. And elsewhere in Scripture we see God tell Abraham that your descendants will be as numerous. There's some lofty promises that God makes to Abraham here. And yet we get to the end of Abraham's life. And where is God's promise revealed? Where is his grace seen? I wonder if at any point Abraham got to the end of his life and said, God, I've had a good life. You've blessed me a lot. But for some reason, the promises that you gave me, I just just thought it would be more. I just thought that it would be bigger. And I wonder if Abraham got to heaven and God said, Hey, you need to see what I'm about to do here. And you need to see me fulfill the promise I made you years ago it's gonna it's gonna unfold and it's gonna be amazing see Abraham and and other heroes of the faith in the Old Testament they never got to see grace realized in the cross they never got to see Jesus in his death and resurrection they never got to fully understand grace and the promise revealed through Jesus that God made them years ago sometimes grace sometimes it seems delayed It may take years, 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. It may not be in our lifetime that we see grace, but the reality is that time reveals grace. Time always reveals grace, and it's never late. We may not like when grace comes. We may think that God is running behind, that he's running late, but time always reveals grace, and it's never late. He's moving He's working, and he has a much bigger picture of things going on than we do. And it may be frustrating. It may be exhausting to wait and wait and wait, but he's doing something. He's doing something bigger, something smaller, something different than we can ever imagine. And to see that most clearly, I want to look at actually Abraham's great-grandson by the name of Joseph. Now, Joseph was uh, one of many kids, but as parents, right, we don't have favorites. At least that's what we tell our kids, right? We don't have favorites. Well, Joseph was his dad's favorite, and there was no second guessing it. He knew it. His brothers knew it. His dad knows it. His dad made it clear to everybody that this is my favorite. In fact, he gave him this special robe of many colors, and, and he flaunted it. ...in front of his brothers. I'm dad's favorite. He loves me more than he loves you. Joseph had a little problem with... ...well, arrogance, pride, selfishness, self-centeredness. He, he had some problems growing up. So it's no surprise when we come to Genesis chapter 37... ...Joseph comes out to the fields to see his brothers. And it says, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe... The robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. and the idea here was that they were going to kill him. They were going to let him die of starvation in the bottom of this pit. But as they're eating lunch and talking about this, they have a different idea. In verse 29, then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Well, there's, we don't benefit if we just kill our brother, but what if we sell him? We'll sell him into slavery, and we'll get some money in the process, and this will be great. And so they do that, and and they continue on their journey. Joseph finds his way in Egypt, serving other people. But God has a plan for Joseph. God has not left Joseph. In fact, in Genesis 39 says, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. So Joseph found favor in his sight, his being his master's sight. And attended him, and, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all he had. And Joseph honored God, and God showed him favor. And, and before you know it, he's been elevated to oversee the entire household where he works. But then his master's wife comes home, lies about Joseph, and Joseph finds himself in prison. But verse 21 says, But the Lord was still with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Again, God was with him, has a bigger plan, and Joseph is elevated. But I can't help but imagine... can't help but imagine if Joseph kept saying to God, if you're going to keep honoring me in this way and showing me favor, but I keep going further and further down this hole, just stop. Just stop showing me favor. Just stop loving me the way that you do, because things don't seem to be working out. Two years later, Joseph finds himself second in all of Egypt, and the only person above him is the Pharaoh of Egypt. What a change from his circumstances. God showed him favor and had a bigger plan at work here because sometimes grace seems delayed because God wants to do something bigger. There was a famine coming. There was, there was going to be a drought in the land. And, and God was putting Joseph in a position to save not just people of Egypt, but his family also. And to make a long story short, he brought his family into Egypt during this drought, and they prospered there, and they grew, and, and God wanted to do something so much bigger than Joseph or anyone in his family even realized. In fact, at the end of his dad's life, Joseph's dad's life, his brothers were concerned that now Joseph would enact his revenge, would now get payback at his brothers for selling him into slavery. And so they lied and they said, you know, our dad said that you should forgive us. That was like his dying breath, his dying wishes that you would forgive us. And in Genesis fifty twenty, Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. God wanted to do something so much bigger in Joseph than what he ever realized and maybe grace is delayed for you because he wants to do something so much bigger in you too maybe it seems like grace has been delayed because he wants to do something so much bigger through you in this world and and maybe he just has to put you in the right place first maybe he's guiding you and leading you to a place of your greatest impact your years of greatest impact are still ahead of you. If you're six years old or 60 years old, it's not a matter of age. It's a matter of you willing to to follow God. Is he he still working in your life and and leading your life and leading your decisions to, to do something big in you and through you? We don't always see that. It may be years before that we see that. It may not even be in our lifetime that we see how God wants to use us. But sometimes grace seems delayed because he wants to use us and has a bigger plan in store. Sometimes God wants to do something bigger. Sometimes, sometimes God wants to do something smaller. You could look at a dozen different passages in this story about Joseph and the kind of man he was growing up. And maybe God wanted to work in his life and form him into the person that he needed to be first. And maybe it's not about doing something great and big in this world. Let's face it, the greatest thing that ever could happen in this world has been done 2,000 years ago when Jesus came and died and, and rose and defeated death once and for all. So maybe the thing that God wants to do is in you and form you into the person that he wants you to be more like his son more like him galatians 5:22 says but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control if we really are christians if we've really been filled with the spirit of god in our lives that's going to be the evidence that's the fruit that people should see from our lives, that God is in us, that God is with us, that we are disciple of Christ. That's what people should see. It doesn't matter how many times we come to church. It doesn't matter if we have a fish uh, you know, bumper sticker or magnet on the back of our car. It doesn't matter how you vote. What matters is the fruit from your life of what God is doing inside of you. That is what matters the most. And maybe grace seems delayed, because he's doing a work inside of you. Because he's forming you and molding you into looking a little bit more like his son and a little bit less like me. A little bit more like, less like what we want to look like and more like his son. Either way, I guarantee you this one thing. It's hard to know what God is doing for sure. We look back over situations and, and we think we see him moving. We think maybe he's going to do this big thing through us or this small thing in us. Or, or we try to figure it out. But here's the reality. It's that God wants to do something different. I don't know if it will be a big thing. I don't know if it will be a small thing. But I know it will be different than what we can even begin to imagine. God says through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. God says we, we're not even on the same wavelength here. We're not thinking the same kind of thoughts. Our, our ideas are not the same kind of ideas. What, what your ways are, are not my ways. And, and sometimes grace seems delayed because God is doing something different from what we realize. He's moving, he's working, and I can't wait for the day that I see it. I can't wait for the day 20, 30, 40 years from now that I look back and I say, ah, if that makes sense. I see how God was in my life here. I see how he was working there, and and I see the pieces fit together. But even then, I'm going to see such a small part of God's story. I can't wait for the day that I get to heaven and God says, Hey, you you saw me do this. What you didn't see was how I brought this other person into your life, how you just rubbed shoulders with this person for a season, and, and you should see this beautiful story that I have woven together through you, through others. And I just imagine sitting back and having my mind blown. It's going to be amazing. I don't know what God is doing in this world. I don't know what God is doing in you. But time always reveals grace. And it's never late. It's always perfect. It's right on time. You know, I've heard many over this last year saying, And Jesus, would you just please come? With all the chaos in this world, with everything we've had to to change and do different in this last year, Jesus, would you just come? But I am convinced that the greatest act of grace is that he's not come back yet. Because sometimes I think we forget why we're here. Peter reminds us in 2 Peter chapter 3, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The greatest act that Jesus could give us at this point of grace is to wait And allow us to do what he's asked us to do and make disciples. It's to go into the world and make disciples of Jesus Christ. To tell an unbelieving world of the unbelievable truth that Jesus came to this world to die on a cross for their sins and offers them life. Life not just in this world, but in eternity. God's grace to us today is giving us more time to make disciples and giving more time for people to come into a relationship with him. Let's not wish this away. Instead, let's be the church. Let's allow grace to be delayed so that God can work in us and that God can work through us to bring others into a relationship with him. Father God, we come before you in this moment to say thank you, to say thank you for your grace seemingly to be delayed so that you can work in our lives, that you can work through us, that you can work in this world that you have created, that you love so deeply. God, I pray that you give us a love for people in this world, a love for this world like you have that we can love people in this world, we can build homes and plant gardens, as your word says, that we can live in this world as long as you have us to do what you have asked us to do, and that is to make disciples. God, I pray, I pray you do a small work in us by molding us and forming us to look more like your son. And I pray that, that one day, One day you will reveal your grace to us and show us this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful scene that you have woven together. God, we love you, and it's in your son's most holy and precious name we pray. Amen.